Good morning. Uh, you know, I was thinking that in this period of lockdown that um, God is giving us the opportunity to, to step back from a powerful wind of traditions and things that we've taken on board to that move us along in a certain direction, whether that direction is right or wrong, um, with such an inertia that it can often be really difficult to change course, even if you realize that that you've been pushed off course by these traditions. So it's a really good opportunity to, to reevaluate. Lockdown has almost been like a calm uh, in a storm, and for some of us probably too calm, um, a storm that's driven, driven us as the people of God in a direction that I think for centuries uh, has entirely missed the direction that Jesus had set us on originally. Um, and as I said, I think we have this opportunity now to to step back and to reevaluate. So today I want to talk to us a little bit um, about the understanding of being church uh, that I that I think has actually become almost entirely uh, lost um, by most people, anyways, uh, and and by some regulated relegated sorry to. Uh, almost a secondary or tertiary um, position. Uh, and what that is, is, is the church as a political uh, and justice-oriented body. So to do that, I need to take us through some biblical definitions and understanding of the word, which our Bible translates as church. Uh, and I think that, that the way our Bibles have been translated is actually a massive failure on the part of translators uh, and been largely motivated on tradition. Um, so, for example, our, our English Bible tells us that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said that, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The thing is that Jesus never said that. Uh, Jesus never, actually in any of his teachings, spoke of the church. He never spoke of a church. Uh, the word that Jesus used uh, and the rest of the New Testament writers uh, had no relation to the word uh, church that we have in our Bibles today. The word church is uh, an English transliteration of the Greek word kyriake, which means the Lord's or belonging to the Lord. Um, and, and while that's true, because we do certainly belong to Jesus, and I don't argue that at all, uh, the word that Jesus and the New Testament writers use had a very specific meaning uh, that everyone who heard them speaking um, would understand immediately, uh, whether they were Jew or Greek. Uh, and that's the word, the Greek word ecclesia or ecclesia, um, which is and was at that time a recognized translation for the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, kahal. Um, Some Bible teachers have clued into the fact that ecclesia literally means called out ones, and so they kind of explain it as um, a word that Jesus used to, to reference the fact that we are called out by God, called out of the world by God. Um, and I think that that, while a nice coincidence, is actually not true at all. As I said, the, the word that Jesus used and the New Testament uh, writers used, whether it was the Greek word or the Hebrew, whether they, they were speaking in Greek or Hebrew, um, was a common secular word. Um, 
during Jesus' time. Um, and it, it always was understood, whether Greek or Hebrew, to mean exactly the same thing. Uh, and that was, uh, both words, ecclesia and kahal, literally mean uh, the governing assembly of the nation. So the ecclesia was uh, the gathering of representatives of citizens in both ancient Greek and Roman democracies for the making of governing decisions. Um, and Kahal was the governing body of the people of Israel, uh, the great assembly that originated with Moses when Moses called out leaders from each tribe and family to make governing decisions. Um, in the post-exile period, that's, that word was uh, changed to Knesset, uh, but has both exactly the same meaning. Uh, and Knesset was a common usage for that. And that's still the name of, of Israel's parliament today. So in other words, what Jesus was really saying in Matthew 16 and the rest of the New Testament writers along with him was, I will create my parliament and even death will not be able to withstand it. And I think that that changes everything. I think that because now the primary purpose of being church moves from a religious expression, um, a religious expression of worship and learning and fellowship to a gathering of MPs, if you will, uh, to make decisions and to demonstrate how society is to operate. And I think that that also makes a lot more sense when you think of the fact that Jesus spoke consistently uh, and shared consistently the gospel of the kingdom of God, um, which is a society with God as their king. Um, and, and he spoke of God's kingdom being at hand, which didn't mean that the end was near. What it meant was that he was, in some senses, rebooting uh, on a global scale God's whole purpose when he called the people of Israel um, that is, that they should be a demonstration of what society was meant to be with God as king and his love and justice as the law. Um, so I guess the question then comes, does that mean that we're called to uh, take over the world and, and take over politics uh, in order to force uh, a nation like the UK or America to observe the law of God? Um, and I think that that's uh, obviously the answer to that is absolutely not. Um, that's more uh, along the lines of what Muslims understand Sharia law to be uh, than what Jesus or Paul or Peter uh, understood uh, that we're actually a holy nation in exile uh, and that we are meant to demonstrate the kingdom to society through and those around us through uh, our actions and the way we live out the love of God. Um, so saying that, then does that mean that we're meant to, to actually stay out of politics entirely? Uh, and again, I say, uh, I think that the answer to that is no. Um, we live in a political system today that the New Testament writers and, uh, and those in that time um, couldn't even possibly imagine they lived under Roman, uh, under the rule of a Roman dictatorship under Caesar, uh, and we live in a democracy. So, which means that 
that our voice counts. Their voice didn't count in, in the governing of their nation, but today our voice counts. And so that means as MPs, as it were, of God's kingdom, we have a responsibility um, to speak into how society is governed in the countries that we live in. We, in essence, we have dual citizenship, uh, but our citizenship in the kingdom has to take priority over our citizen in the UK or any other country. Actually, I've just finished my application to become a UK citizen, which means it means that um, I'm I'm both a UK and a USA citizen. And if ever those two nations came into conflict uh, between each other, I'd have to choose uh, which where my loyalties lie, and and that's often the case with us as as Christians as members of as citizens of the kingdom of god um often our english or our american or other citizenship comes into conflict with jesus's teaching uh, and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom so we have to choose at those times um i need to also clarify that i'm what i'm not saying <laughs> about involvement in politics i'm not saying that we're called to make sure that uh that UK law or US American law are passed that mandate a morality based on some interpretation of Levitical law. Um, Jesus and Paul, I think, were both clear that the the Levitical law may have been the law for ancient Israel, but that's not the law of the kingdom. The law of the kingdom, Jesus said, was twofold. It was to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And when he said neighbor, um, he was very clearly meaning also, because he said elsewhere, uh, that neighbor includes our enemies. So since, since those laws are the laws that, that are over us as MPs of the kingdom, then our voices in society have to, to reflect, reflect that. They have to be informed by, by Jesus's law of love, which means that, uh, our voice in national politics uh, have to demonstrate loving our neighbor. As a citizen of the kingdom, our voice in earthly politics should never, um, never be oriented towards something that would benefit us at the expense of another because that's obviously not loving our neighbor. For example, it would never be right, I think, for a... Uh, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God to vote in favor of a law that that restricts asylum seekers um, out of a fear that somehow they would pollute English culture or take American jobs, which are, are excuses that I hear um, as to why we should restrict immigration or asylum seekers or those who are seeking um, to, to make a better life for themselves uh, coming out of difficult situations. Uh, when we say those things, uh, we're being selfish, and the law of Christ is uh, is really the law of, of love, laying down our lives and rights for another person. And Paul said that that we're to not only to look to our own interests, but we're to look to the interests of others. We're to consider others as more important than ourselves. Um, and that brings me to this issue uh, of social justice as a responsibility 
of the people of God, the ecclesia, or if we have to use the word, the church, the those who belong to God. Um, God is extremely clear, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it's a priority, it's a primary responsibility of his people, even before worship, to create and exemplify a society that exhibits justice to, to those who, for whatever reason, are facing oppression or hardship. Um, he speaks constantly of, for example, treating the immigrants, uh, the foreigner amongst you as brothers, for you were also foreigners in Egypt. Um, Jesus spoke of uh, giving to everyone who asks of you out of their need, of protecting the poor, the widow, the orphan, of loving uh, the person who is racially oppressed. In his time, that was the Samaritans. They were looked down upon. There was uh, an outright... Uh, institutional systemic racism between the the people of Israel, the government of Israel, and the Samaritans. And Jesus said that that wasn't right. He spoke when he when he talked about what it means to love one's neighbor. He used a Samaritan as an example. Um, also, providing health care and dignity to those who are sick or outcast um, because of health issues, such as in his time leprosy or bleeding. Uh, I think it can be seen in, in Acts and church history that the, that the early Christians really understood this as such a primary responsibility that we see, for example, in Acts that they would sell their possessions in order that there would be no poor amongst them. Um, and even later, we see an anti-Christian Roman emperor comment that nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as much as their charity to strangers, he said, the impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but also for ours. Um, which I think is a real testimony when someone who's absolutely opposed to Christianity says uh, that the gospel is so powerful because we're caring not only for the poor Christians around us, um, but those who are in the world as well. So I want to close with three passages of Scripture that are, uh, if you will, extremely strong words, um, but they do demonstrate just how much importance God places um, on his people making social justice a priority and a priority even over worship and religious observances. So the first one, um, I came across it uh, very early as a young Christian, and it really changed my entire understanding of following God. You know, I'd been uh, learning all these wonderful uh, Christian exercises, spiritual exercises like Bible study and worship and prayer and fasting. And when I came across this, this passage, it just utterly changed the direction of what, for me, it meant to be, to be a Christian. Um, and so I'll read that. It's from Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verses 1 to 10. Isaiah says, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. 
Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for, our, for the people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of fingers and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become as the noonday. I think that's a powerful uh, passage on um, whether God sees... Uh, worship or fasting or these spiritual exercises uh, as important on their own or whether justice is a priority to him. Um, a little later, I ran into Jesus's parable of the sheep and the goats. And, um, and I actually thought at the time with a, with a shudder, with, with genuine fear, um, that at the moment I looked more like a goat than I did a sheep. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will gather before him, and he will shepherd, separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put his sheep on the right and his goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. Clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. But they will also answer, Lord. And notice they use the word Lord. They recognize who he was. 
When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I find that an incredibly scary passage because Jesus doesn't make um, the difference between reward or punishment about whether they believed in him or they sang worship songs to him or they heard good sermons or preached good sermons. Uh, he makes it very clearly based on how they treated those who were in need around them. Uh, and I think that the church has lost some of that. Certainly the church does do those things with programs, but those things are things that we do almost as an aside. In fact, I can tell you that uh, the majority of the church, at least in the West, sows so much of its finance, resource, and energy towards a Sunday service and a church service, um, and then gives kind of the, the remainder of that to programs that care for the poor, um, for feeding the hungry, for for housing, uh, and and even I would say that even when we give money to those things, I would ask us to evaluate whether our heart is in that demonstration of the kingdom, or if that's just kind of a thing that we do because that's a program of the church, and we don't actually have to invest our heart in it um, because we can write a check. So so I challenge us all, I challenge myself and I challenge you that, that even when you give financially to a charity that does these things, um, don't limit it to your to your money. Put, put your heart into it. Go, go do something yourself. Go and volunteer. Um, vote for, for policies that will Eliminate poverty. Um, challenge our MPs to search for ways to develop housing um, for those without it. Those are the kind of things that I think we need to enter more into rather than quickly and easily writing a check to, to various charities. Uh, and then the final scripture that I came across, I came across... Um, actually fairly recently, I, probably in the last 10 years, it really hit me. And it was in a time when I was really enjoying playing uh, guitar on a worship team, you know, regularly, every, almost every Sunday. Uh, and I really loved what um, the, the amazing worship culture that was, was growing in the church, um, you know, through whether Bethel Music or United Pursuit um, and, and just the great worship that is coming out and has been coming out. Uh, and I came across this incredibly shocking passage from Amos chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 18 and reading through 24. It says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from the lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. We think we're going to be entering in these cues, the, the judgment before the judgment throne, uh, and we think we'll be praised for our great worship and our great um, 
an expression of love for God. But God says, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? He says, and this is where it really got to me, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteous like a, like a never failing stream. I, I realized that, that those words um, in all those scriptures actually sound really, really harsh. But I think rightly so. I think that, that when we as the Ecclesia of God make our priority about our experience in worship and a good sermon and other things about doing church rather than being MPs of the kingdom, I think God is a faithful father um, to speak sharp words of correction. And sometimes we need to hear those uh, as a father. You know, I, I need to discipline my children at times. And, and that's never pleasant for them. Uh, it's not pleasant for me. But it needs to happen in order to change a course that they're on. Um, so he does speak those corrections. He says, I... I I've shown you, man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's it. That's all. All the other stuff are just extras. They're, they're a bit like icing on the cake for us to enjoy. But a diet of pure or even a majority icing makes us ill and weak and ineffective in the world for the sake of the kingdom. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we do away with the icing completely. I, I just think that, that worship and teaching and fellowship, um, I think those things that we love about being the people of God are a vital part of being in the kingdom. You know, all, all cultures celebrate, all cultures uh, practice community and they learn together. Um, I'm just suggesting that we take this, this calm in the storm, uh, if you will, to reset our rudders and aim more fully at the purposes of God, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So let me just pray. And then um, I just want to share one final thought. Uh, Father, I thank you that, that in your love and in your discipline, for you discipline those you love. Um, you were not quick to withhold harsh and, and difficult words um, from the scriptures, the words that you spoke over your people that still ring true to us today. It's so easy for us to seek our own, to enjoy our times of worship and fellowship and uh, good sermons, things that inspire us and move us, um, and even things that challenge us but to fail to orient our lives um, towards what it really means to be the ecclesia, the, the governing assembly of a new society, of a kingdom that you said is here, that it is amongst us. Um, and, and I thank you that you've challenged us in that. And I thank you that you are gracious. You're so full of grace and mercy 
that you are loving father that you don't condemn us when we fail in these things but you you discipline us to to shift our our uh, priorities back onto your priorities so i ask that as we have this moment of calm uh during this season when it's a storm in so many ways but as church as a tradition as the the way we do things um, we've got this moment of quiet to reevaluate, to reset our rudder, to trim our sails, and to to aim um, towards your north star, which was always about the kingdom being represented on earth. That your people would become like a new Israel, an example to everyone around us, to the nations. Um, and you said the nations would come running when they saw your people, and. To be fair, to be really honest, uh, I don't see the nations running to us more often than not. I see the nations running from us because we've not made um, a life, a society of justice and love and compassion and mercy for those who are poor and suffering um, the standard by which we we live. So I pray that you would help us to shift our our position, that our hearts would shift in this time as well as our goals and our priorities, and that we would re-aim at being a people of God, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a representative of you in this world, that we would continue to worship, we would continue to celebrate, we would continue to, to hear teaching that inspires us to go beyond ourselves, to serve the, the, uh, to serve the other, to serve the weak, to to uh, come alongside those who face racial injustice, come alongside those who face uh, economic injustice, to come along those side, uh, alongside those who face um, persecution from their home countries and to offer a place to house those who need housing, to clothe those who need clothing, to welcome those who need a home and to love those who've gone so, so long without love, whether, for whatever reason, whether it be race, um, even problems that they brought upon themselves like addiction, um, although those things, even those things have deeper and more complex undertones than just uh, decisions. We all make bad decisions and often life's difficulties are what drive us into those decisions. So help us to be a church that is, um, passionate about your justice, passionate about aligning our lives to your heart for the kingdom expressed on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so if, if you're interested, or if you have questions about what it means to be um, the governing body of, of God's kingdom in this world, to be the ecclesia, to be the kahal, the Knesset uh, um, of God's kingdom here, what it means to be involved in social justice or politics. Um, I think we're all called to that. I don't think any of us have uh, um, the right to actually step back from being involved in the politics of society around us. If you, if you want to know more, if you have questions, or comments, feel free to to speak with myself or message me. Or also um, Dave Robbins, who um, is also very passionate about Christians and politics and is involved in an organization 
um, called Christians in Politics. Um, I think he's posted something on on our Facebook page about that. So, so there are others around um, that can begin to uh, help us to understand more what it means to be involved in politics in our nations, the UK, America, wherever our citizenship lies, um, multiple citizenships, how we can be involved in those things in a, in a kingdom way, um, because I think we can bring kingdom to those. And I'm not saying uh, those that this position means that we align ourselves with one party or another. Um, in fact, I'm saying that that the, the earthly parties that we have are are broken when it comes to kingdom principles. I think there are some tenants, some some parties that may have uh, more their, their eye more on the ball of things like social justice. Um, but I'm not saying that we need to align ourselves with a particular party. I think it's we need to align ourselves with the kingdom. Um, but we should never sacrifice our role as as MPs for the kingdom in order to go along with a party that we've traditionally followed on either side of, of the aisle. Um, so let's give that thought and prayer in our daily lives and how we can be more effective. I know that some of, of you haven't thought in this way ever. Others of you have thought in this way, but have maybe moved more into uh, partisan politics, been stirred or motivated by things um, spoken to us from the media through uh, political voices that have scared us. Politics in today's society uses fear a lot, and I don't want us to be stirred by fear. I want us to be stirred by love. So bless you as you consider these words. I know that, that in some ways uh, those, pass those ending passages of Scripture were quite, quite heavy and quite harsh. Um, and so I, I, I say, don't let the heaviness weigh on you except as a correction where it needs to be a correction. Um, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, um, but there should be conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys. And uh, I pray that you have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name, amen.